2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
0: details.
1: This is the Graceful Atheist Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Graceful Atheist Podcast. My name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. As my normal request for ratings and reviews, I'm going to ask you that you subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast application that you use. And then I'm going to have a link in the show notes to a new site called Podchaser that has platform agnostic reviews. I'd love for you to do a review and a rating of the podcast on Podchaser. And if you've been a guest on the show, you can create a creator profile and we can add you as a guest. That way your profile also gets some attention as well. I want to wish everyone a very happy and safe winter holiday season. Again, I think the crisis of our time is loneliness. I hope you can check in on one another and show that you love each other at a safe distance. On to today's show. It is finally here. (laughs) I've been talking about an episode with my wife, Michelle, for quite some time. I thought about titling the episode Graceful Atheist, Graceful Christian, or Secular Humanist, Religious Humanist, but I've gone with a loving, unequally yoked Relationship that really describes what we're talking about here. My wife, Michelle, is an amazing person. As I have said multiple times, she is a better humanist than I am, though she's a religious humanist. Her work is social work adjacent, and she gets to help out people who are in need. I very much respect Michelle and her faith. I sometimes need to make clear that my role here is not to tear down Christianity. It is to provide cover for doubters, to give space for people to go through a deconstruction and or a deconversion process. And so I've had a number of conversations with Christians over the past year where I've really respected those people. I've also had some with people who I didn't respect quite as much. (laughs) I'll let you figure out who is who. But in this case, I very much respect Michelle and I very much respect her faith. We don't pull any punches in this conversation. It's a bit raw. You're going to hear some tension. I feel like that is really useful. For those of you who are in relationships where one of you is a believer and one of you has gone through a major deconstruction or a deconversion, I hope that you can find some hope from this, that it is possible to make it work. I'm not going to editorialize a whole lot more. I will, however, note that the audio quality is not great. We were literally sitting in our kitchen dining room. At times you can hear the dishwasher going in the background. I mean, it was, it's that kind of scenario. I'm not yet set up to have enough mics and room where I have total audio isolation. I think I've done enough to the conversation to make it listenable. (laughs) So here is my conversation with my wife, Michelle. I can't believe I get to say this, but Michelle atheist podcast thank you so this has been a long time coming I really excited to have the conversation I know that I've told you a number of times that there are lots of people out there who are in similar relationships to us where they began both as Christians and one or or the other changes their mind and how we continue that relationship is just a really important and deep question that people out there want to know about. And I don't want to insinuate in any way that we have got it uh, figured out. But thus far, I think we still are very much in love with each other. I think there's mutual respect for each other's spirituality, however you want to define that. And I think we have something that people want to hear about. Okay. All right. (laughs) So let's start with I, so I have a few questions for you that, that I'm curious about. And and the first of which is when I mentioned the possibility that we could do a podcast together, I was very kind of sheepish about it and a little nervous to even ask the question. And since then, you've you've shown great interest, which I'm very happy about, <laughs> but, but is at least slightly surprising to me. So why did you want to do this conversation?
2: I think it's good for us to do it because it... Keeps the dialogue going. Yeah. And I think it is difficult to navigate. It's not an easy thing to do in a relationship. Typically relationships that have a differentiation of spiritual views don't end well. And it's just something that we have been working through and we can share it with other people. And not that we, like you said, have it right. Right. It's a constant working through. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to, to talk about and to let people know this is how we have done it, are doing it, how we are at this point in time, yes. yeah. and just share
1: that. So I think what we should start with is a little bit of history, how we met and the process of how we got to now, so to speak. So in 1991, I saw this very beautiful young lady on the beach uh, at our very, very small private Christian college. Tell me from your perspective, how things went uh, from there.
2: Um, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I dated other people. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. I think when we graduated, then we dated. Yeah. Then we broke up for five years and got reconnected after five years and went from there. Is that kind of what you're...
1: Yeah. Uh, So you've neglected to mention that for our entire senior year, we spent almost every waking hour together. But yes. We were friends. (laughs) Uh, So if it's not super clear to everyone, I was madly, deeply in love with Michelle forever. And yes, it was after we graduated that we started a date. A while back you and I were chatting, and I thought you had something really insightful to say about after that five-year period of time, we had both gone on and done ministry in one capacity or another. And I think we both experienced positive elements of that, but also a little bit of burnout. But you specifically used the word deconstruction, that there was some level of deconstruction that happened there. And of course, that's way before the word deconstruction was was popular. But what do you mean by that? And how do you think your perspective changed during that five-year window?
2: I think that I began to see what I felt like were flaws in the structure of the church in the sense that I think that's when political pieces really started, and I think I was starting to be realistic about what's behind the scenes, sometimes in, not in Jesus or God, but sometimes in our humanity of being in the church. We tend to need to control, and we tend to need to control other people, and that tends to happen a lot
1: in the systems so uh, we're skipping ahead here but i think another interesting topic might be without getting too deep into politics uh, i've i've watched you over the last several years grieve the way that god is used in politics do you want to talk about that what that grief was like and how you're processing that
2: okay See, I didn't prepare for these questions. <laughs> so, so the way that we represent the heart of God and who Jesus is gets warped in our own humanity and our own the way we want things. And sometimes when we become Christians and we're taking on being one of God's people and and being in love with Jesus and and then having him take us holy that we are his people and represent him what i've been reading um that's been really good is talking about what is taking God's name in vain really and it is that when we use him to get an agenda around that we want whether that's political or it's just some abuse of power or Whatever that is, that is actually incredibly harmful and that causes so much hurt in the church it causes hurt in people who are not even in the church that it shouldn't impact in the same way and
1: my observation of you and what I you know fell in love with and why I still love you so much uh, is your character that you care about people, that you that you love people and you do so in the name of God as it were. My observation of your grief is that when people use that as a cudgel, particularly for political gain in one way or another, that that I could see that it hurts you and that it doesn't represent who you are or the faith that you hold.
2: Yeah, and, and that is not saying that I don't believe that the church is important. I think it is. I think we just get mixed up with what it should be. And, you know, we're always looking for the strong leader and we're looking for someone other than God to lead us. And I think pastors become those leaders and it's not necessarily the role that they're supposed to be in. And I don't know that that is, uh, that's just my opinion, Mm -hmm. you know, but Sometimes we look for too much. It's, it's like Israel constantly looking for a king. They always wanted a king, and, and I think that's just human nature. We want somebody to follow that we can see because it's so much easier than constantly trying to go back and follow God that we can't see. Mm-hmm. And so we look for that person, and we create people, and that's a lot of pressure on a person, one individual,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and power is easy to go to people's heads, and, and it takes a lot of humility to really follow God and when we lose that humility and we lose that sense of learning and constantly growing we can get it wrong and we get it wrong sometimes and and I'm sure I get it wrong and I don't want to represent that oh I know everything and but I have opinions yeah. <laughs> and mm. the more that I follow God and Jesus and I allow learning and allow my perspective to, to be changed by him. The more humble I become in viewing other people, hopefully, sometimes not, but mm-hmm. in viewing other people and and how fun it is to constantly be growing and changing. Mm-hmm. There's a joy in realizing, okay, I haven't done something right, and what I feel like is the spirit of God just come and kind of gently go, you know. You Look at that, and and I get to become a better person. I get to have security in being completely loved and accepted as God loves me and be stable in that. And once I have that down, that I'm it doesn't matter, I'm completely accepted, completely loved, I can look at what I am not and where I make mistakes and and how I fail, and that's okay. And I get to grow, and I get to change. And if you can't be humble with it, and not that I'm humble all the time, but (laughs) it takes humility to be able to see that and to let that change happen.
1: Mm -hmm. So if we backtrack for just a second, after college, we had gone our separate ways. We did ministry. There was some level of burnout. And when we got back together, the focus at that time was the recognition of the need for more grace so obviously grace has been a major theme in my life it still is even with this podcast and it was the recognition that at times the church can be more focused on administering punishment than grace and the rest of the story the thing that i don't think is super clear is that we were still very much christians obviously nothing changed for you and in my mind you know, nothing changed for me for quite some time. But I've just mentioned a few things that I observed about you. I think you have a different perspective on my story than I do. I've obviously <laughs> told my story multiple times. So what was your perspective, let's say five years ago, five or six years ago, as we were starting to approach, it was 2015 when I decided I could no longer believe.
2: Well, I think what you're asking me is, I think you always felt like I judged you in your faith.
1: Uh, No, I want to get your honest take on the cues that you seemed to be aware of that I wasn't.
2: So that was not just before your announcement. Okay. (laughs) Yes. That was throughout our relationship. Okay. And that's why I say you always felt like I at least you have stated that before that you felt like I was judging your faith and that it wasn't good enough or something. But I I think what I was experiencing, like we didn't, when we got married, we didn't do, Mm -hmm. we pray together or we do these things together, which I would have liked. Mm -hmm. And so I always, it always puzzled me. Like, why don't we do those things? And, and so I would bug you about it and Mm -hmm. challenge you on it. And, pester you and (laughs) whatever and why don't you do the things that i do and why don't we share this deep intimacy that i know that i've shared with other christians Mm -hmm. and so that was missing from our relationship right and i think Mm -hmm. what i did was to kind of try to understand what was happening why we didn't share that um was i said well you have a different personality Maybe God relates to you differently than He does to me mm-hmm. and to other people that I know, and I think that could be true. I think we are all part of a creation, and all of us have different personalities, and we have to make room for those personalities, um, not expect people to be exactly like us. but in my head, that's what I had chalked it up to mm-hmm. that you had a analytical relationship with God that I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And it never felt, I don't know, there was always just something there that never connected. Mm. And and I I wanted that in a relationship. And and ideally, I would still want that with a, a husband that was a Christian. Mm. But that is the ideal and not the reality mm. of people. But when you um, told me, there was a piece of me that, oh, this feels real. And it was the first time where I felt like, We hit something real together, a deep realness, and not a a facade or or not a. I don't know how to describe it in a nice way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I promise I won't take offense.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But whatever it was, it was the first time where I felt like we are real, and I'm seeing what's really going on inside of you, and that felt, in spite of all the bad stuff that was there that at least felt good Mm -hmm. to have that Mm
1: -hmm. i guess the reason i ask is and you and i have discussed this before that it's very common a part of what i'll call deconversion this deconversion experience where the deconvert the person who goes through the, the change of mind comes out and they suddenly find themselves defending their former faith to people. Which
2: I think is funny.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's bizarre. I I like, and it's, it's a defensive reaction. I'll just talk about this briefly because that isn't the point of this conversation. But if I didn't have real faith, then I don't know what real faith is. The reason I asked that question is I realized because of our conversations that you have had a different perspective on my experience prior to deconversion than I did. And I want to just acknowledge that, of course, I have blind spots and, and of course, you know me better than any other human being on the face of the planet. And so I want to take that in, that perspective has some validity at the same time to talk about the difference of what it felt like internally, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is a disparity there. so. Mm -hmm. So leading up to... It's 2015. It's the summertime. We were on vacation. This was August. I think it was in June that I really had this moment of clarity, recognition. A full two to three months had gone by and it was absolutely killing me. I think the thing that we do share very deeply is is that need for honesty with each other, to be real. That's kind of what you're describing. And I was just tortured for those three months as I was trying to figure out how in the world do I tell the person I love the most in the world something that's going to break her heart. And even just trying to describe this now, you know, my palms start sweating. And I mean, it was that intense. So that evening, I think I said to you, I'm having some doubts, which was a bit of an understatement. (laughs) So... I was trying to soften the blow, you know, to get the conversation rolling. So I'd like to to find out what were your initial thoughts? What were your honest first thoughts?
2: I don't know if I remember my honest first thoughts. I remember just a myriad of emotions Yeah, that ran from everything from fear and panic and anger and just it was a a huge range settling on this real anxious feeling Mm -hmm. of what is the difference going to be like Mm -hmm. how is our relationship going to be different now that you've made this decision what does that mean and what does that mean for me what does that mean for you are you going to go off the deep end and do crazy stuff I didn't know And it cycles. And it still cycles. Like I still cycle through different emotions about it. Mm -hmm. That's what I remember.
1: Can you remember how we started to resolve? It's never resolved, but to come to some peace about it.
2: Yeah, not talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) For the first, I think year or two yeah it was very very hard to talk about and sometimes it still is yeah. because when we have a conversation about it it is put it right into your face yeah and you can't deny it or look away from it and so that is hard and so that first couple of years I just didn't want to talk about it yeah and I don't know if they're for me, it was a point of, this is resolved. And I don't know that it, it should be like, it is not something that gets resolved. It's something that you learn to navigate Mm -hmm. because this difference between us is a big gulf. And the very essence of who I am is my relationship with God. And Mm -hmm. that's my perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And what I'm about and what I love all of that stems from this piece of me that just flows out of me mm-hmm. and so if that's who I am how do you engage with me and like that you mm-hmm. know it, mm-hmm. and so it's it is difficult mm-hmm. it doesn't fit naturally for me in yeah. my head yeah
1: so i think the hardest thing is is language so you jokingly said about 10 minutes ago. I don't know how to say this nicely. (laughs) So when I say the word spirituality, I tend to mean it in the most human way possible. But what I have tried to communicate is that because I care about you, because I love who you are, and that includes your faith and everything that you've described about your relationship with God, So ignoring metaphysics, right, ignoring what is behind that, I love you for who you are, and that includes all of that. And so I think it took a long time for you to trust me that I wasn't going to make fun of you, that I wasn't going to ridicule, I wasn't going to try to change your mind. It seems like in the last year or so, we've gotten a little more comfortable having these conversations. Did something change?
2: Well, I think a couple of things in trying to to navigate the dynamic of I I think I told you this the other day that I love two people. I love two things. I love God. I mean, I love more than that, but yeah, yeah. Of,
1: we also have kids yeah. yes.
0: <laughs>
2: of of really importance to me. Besides our children, I love God and I love you. Yeah. And you do not love him because you don't believe in him anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's difficult. You know, when you love something, you want those things to merge and it makes it easier when they merge. And what came to me was that in the sense that I love him and I love you, he loves you. And so it's okay for me to love you. Not that it wouldn't (laughs) have been, but it was, there was something freeing about that point of, oh, I get to love you. You have been put in my life and I have to love you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It is a terrible <laughs> burden
1: that no one should have to bear.
2: <laughs> no, I, I get to and that was freeing. Yeah. The other piece that we also have talked about was that you have reserved judgment, at least as far as I have felt, mm-hmm. and not – like you said, tried to dissuade me and not to talk negatively about something that means so much to me. Mm -hmm. And so that is also freeing. And there was a time where you were listening to something with me that had to do with faith. And that frees me a little bit too. Mm -hmm. Because it feels like you support that piece of me. Yeah. And if you came at me with anger and hostility, that would shut me down immediately. Yeah, And that's true in relationships in general, whether it's about faith or not. Any dynamic that you have where somebody's coming at something that's important to you or about you, it shuts you down and the relationship then gets shut down. And if that keeps happening, then there's that evolution of the degrading of yeah. that relationship.
1: It's, what's the word? Contempt. That is Uh the thing that destroys relationships. Yeah. uh, One of the things that I talk about a lot is that people who go through a process of deconversion or even just a lot of deconstruction, just, you know, maybe they still have some level of faith, but that you have this. Powerful concoction of danger in that in that you may have gained some newfound disrespect for the church. Mm-hmm. you've gained a bunch of knowledge uh, probably about this argument and that argument, and it is very easy then, especially in those early days, to lash out at the people around you. I think I did that to our friends uh, we at our friend's house pretty early on, a few months in, blasted them with some information and I, you know, I regret that. I, that was part of the recognition for me of, oh, I, I can't do this because the, the people I care about more than I care about trying to assert my correctness, right? And that, but I bring this up to say that, that is harder than it sounds, right? It actually takes quite a bit of self-recognition and holding back.
2: And, and I remember being really mad at you that night. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But Rightly I, so, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think just to build on that, one of the pieces that allows us to maintain a relationship and to people in general is to not have to be right. Yeah. Even though I think I'm right and you think you're right. Right not having to be right and prove it to each other. Yeah.
1: People are more important. Our relationships with, with other human beings. This is the whole point of my humanism. And again, let me just say on the record that I think you're, a religious humanist in the sense that you care about uh, people. I think you are a better humanist. Jesus is a humanist. <laughs> this is true. Absolutely. But I think you are a better humanist than I am and that you are working this out on a daily basis in, in your work. In other words, these are not just words that I'm throwing out here, but that the recognition that our connections with other people and, and being loving in those connections is more important than asserting power and intellect and what
0: have your you. Your ego. Yeah, and correctness, right, your ego. Not yeah. yours in particular, but just <laughs> ego in One's general. ego. One's yes. ego, yes. <laughs> yes.
1: So neither of us could remember the, the name of uh, the source of this information, but relatively soon in, maybe a year or two in, you had talked about a psychologist who had this idea of a second marriage to the same person. And I think the context there was was infidelity, which we want to make clear is definitely not the case here. Uh, but I thought it was a brilliant, and it gave both of us, I think, a framework to reinvest in, in our marriage, reinvest in our relationship, just recognize that human beings change, that even over time people change, and that occasionally you need to recommit that, I love you and I'm committed to you and that's not going to change. That's an act of volition. It's an act of will. Mm -hmm. And so in a sense, we are on our second marriage to one another. Do you want to talk about that some? Yeah. Well, you you pretty much summed it up. (laughs) (laughs) And
2: I don't think it's just something significant happens. And so you have to have a new marriage. I think it's that people grow and change. And if you do not allow for change in the relationship and with each other and grow with that person in whatever framework it ends up being, then you do run the risk of losing the relationship. You've got to grow together and you've got to let the relationship evolve. And so who we were when we were younger, we are not who we are now. Things we liked changed, all that sort of stuff. And this was a significant change, one that is hard for most people to navigate and one that not everybody has to deal with but we had to grow into a new dynamic Mm -hmm. and that is relationships in general like you you always have to grow together and so ours just looks much different than it did at the beginning and it will look different 10 years from
1: now right I am immensely grateful to you for <laughs> uh, bringing that up originally, but being willing to embrace that we are still committed to each other even though things have changed. And I think just to go back for a second, because I don't think I said this well enough, my greatest fear as I was you know, waiting to tell you was that you would leave me. Not that I thought you wanted to do that, but that I understood how deep a cut I was making. I just knew that I couldn't live with pretending and maybe i need to say this explicitly as well if i could believe i would because i know how important it is to you that's how deep a thing it is right like i can't i can't pretend and so from my perspective my love for you did not change and so i my greatest fear was that that i was destroying the relationship that was most important to me
2: yeah and it it was a good possibility. Yeah. That yeah. that could happen because that is it is huge. Yeah. And so what I wouldn't want is for anybody to think well they made it with no problems. It it is a big factor. Yeah. And affects me all the time. Yeah.
1: So yeah, let's acknowledge here that you know the reason why I was really interested in doing this conversation on mic with you is From the perspective of the deconvert, when we go through this process and the first things you go, you go out and you look on the internet, how have other people experienced this? It's grim. Lots of divorces, lots of of broken relationships without assigning blame. I don't know whose fault that was, whether it was the deconvert or the believer, but it is very difficult. And so there are a handful of stories out there of people who are making it work and because... We have been able to, thus far, (laughs) do pretty good. (laughs) What are (laughs) you saying? I wanted to present some hope out there. Again, as you just said, it's it's not that it's easy, but it is possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it takes letting go of ego, like you say, uh, making sure there's no contempt, and truly respecting and and caring for each other.
2: And I think on... At least my part, and on probably someone who has a faith and their partner changes, yeah, you also have to let go of what you envisioned your marriage to be mm. because we have an ideal, and even though we weren't meeting that ideal early on, I felt like, well, there was a possibility you were going to have some deep connection suddenly and you're gonna like well let's we need to pray about this and we need to you know and so part of it is letting go of the image that you have in your head Mm -hmm. and letting the person be different and letting the marriage be different than what you had planned and I truly believe that we need to let go of the selfish thing of you need to be this for me Mm -hmm. If you are not a Christian, you are not meeting my needs. And so I don't have to be in this marriage. And that is not what scripture says. And that's not what Jesus would want in my view, uh, unless someone's abusive. Right. Yes, There's a very different factor with that. So I think that's part of what we were talking about, that marriage evolving into a different marriage, also letting go of that picture that you have in your head of what marriage should be and what your marriage should be and i have had the dream of what our marriage should be and i have let go of that and sometimes that still grieves me like that there is still a grieving process and that happens but there is also great joy to be found in that too
1: yeah All right. Would you like to take some questions from uh, audience members? Yes. It's taken a while for us to actually sit down and do the recording. We've been talking about doing this now for a couple of months. For a few episodes, I asked people to write in and give some questions for us. I'm going to basically read them verbatim. Some of them, uh, as I said to you off mic, are a bit blunt. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be graceful about the way that is, but we'll try to, to give an answer. A lot of them we probably have already answered, and we'll maybe just refer back to that. So, uh, Matthew Taylor is a good friend of mine. He has a podcast called Still Unbelievable and Proscenium. I've been on his show. He's been on mine. I love that guy. He asks, has your wife changed any of her views on Christianity since my deconstruction? I think he's asking because of your deconstruction. Yeah, maybe. And let's extend it to, again, anything that changed in that five-year period that we talked about earlier.
2: Well, okay. So yeah, but not in the sense that you would think. In, during our relationship where you professed faith, I felt like I was always holding back and waiting for you and waiting for us to be a couple together together. In our relationship with God, and and so kind of trying to pace with you, and even what the relationships that I had before with God were different than what they were in our marriage, mm-hmm. and almost from a week in to the point that you told me, I was released to have my own relationship and faith and dig as hard as I wanted to and as deep as I wanted to and not be holding back. And I, I never even consciously realized that I was doing that. Mm. And obviously I would tell anybody that I was talking to that your relationship with God is your own and should not be based on your partner But that ideal of, and that desire to share that with your partner sometimes gets in the way and and becomes dependent. Your relationship with God becomes dependent and intertwined with that partner. And so that significantly changed. And I felt free.
1: (laughs) The millstone was off your neck. (laughs) Yes. No, I think that's a really interesting perspective. And again, I'm glad. This is what is so hard to communicate, that I want you to be spiritually fulfilled. However, your experience of that is, I'm happy that that is fulfilling for you. If I was in any way holding you back... hindrance. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm very glad that I got out of the way. (laughs) Still, Matthew... Do you both have suggestions or advice for those many couples who separate when one of them deconverts? We talked about that quite a bit earlier of just not having contempt for one another, loving each other, uh, not having your ego involved, not needing to be right. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything you want to add to that?
2: Yes. From the believer's perspective, and not that I would want somebody to go and tell their believing Spouse, you need to be like this, but there is basis in Scripture for marriages that are not
1: equally yoked, as we would. Yes, you know, no, we, in we Christian a, ease. It, it is a joke. We we call it the unequally yoked club. So. Okay, okay. <laughs> <Yes>. great.
2: <laughs> One of the things that I struggled with is, am I not representing God well? because of loving you the way that I do. Mm -hmm. And that is not the case. And that's why realizing how much God loves you, whether you love him or not, was freeing for me. Mm -hmm. Because we both love you, even though you don't love both of us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I love you. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes.
2: And so it's not ideal. It's not what I think would be the best you know, relationship, because you have that barrier. But it is really good. It's really good Mm -hmm. if you allow it to be.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, So another question from Matthew that's very similar, but one of the difficulties in atheist Christian dialogue is that criticism of the foundations of Christianity often feel like a personal criticism to the Christian Because their identity is wrapped up in their Christianity, what advice can you give to both sides in navigating this sensitive area? Let me respond first to that. (laughs) I think that it's important to recognize that your faith is a part of your identity, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all.
2: That's not negative, that's true.
1: Yeah. But what I mean is, from my perspective, it's also not negative, right? That... I've said this on the podcast a lot. There are better and worse versions of Christianity, and if Christians who are believers and they find great moral foundation that leads them to care about people and to do good in the world, that's fantastic. Let's get more of that, <laughs> right? Like That's maybe simplistic, but some of my view of uh, you, and so I wouldn't even put it in terms of trying to be critical of the foundations what you will hear me be critical like if you listen to my podcast is apologists i find the arguments terrible Mm -hmm. I, i find that they are actually hurting believers and so you know if somebody comes to me and they say i believe by faith i say i can't follow you there but i respect that if you come to me and say i believe And I think you should too, because of this argument and that argument, then I'm going to argue against those arguments, right? With everything, all the knowledge that I personally possess, right? And so I think there's a mixture of that in, in this question in that I will argue with the apologist all day long, but for someone like yourself, I respect your faith. I respect how that is a part of you and I respect the way that you express it.
2: So there are multiple thoughts that go through my head from just that one question. Yeah. And you're right that part of being a person of faith is that it is my core. It is who I am. There is a difference in some of the pieces of Christianity that are harmful and that might be what I was talking about, taking God's name in vain Mm -hmm. and used to control people and maybe misunderstandings. And there's fear on both sides. And anytime you bump up against fear with a criticism, you get a big reaction. And because my faith is rooted in Jesus, I am able to allow that fear and that doubt to go through me and come out the other side. And sometimes I have big reactions. I'm sure you've seen that, but it's hurtful. Like you're, you're hurting people when you are criticizing something that is really, really important to them. Mm -hmm. Apart from the fear factor, you are making a judgment on who they are and You don't have to do that to have a good relationship. It's kind of like what we were talking about, letting go of your ego, letting go of being right in order to love the person. And that goes both ways. So if you are finding that you need to correct somebody all the time because you feel like they're wrong, maybe you need to let go of that piece. I am naturally a corrector. (laughs) That is my natural tendency, yeah. and that is something that over time I feel like has been part of my faith that God has really rubbed down, and you may not think that, but he has. <laughs> the
1: rough edges. Yeah.
2: Yes, <laughs> um, and those are one of my edges that kind of stick out and, and has been smoothed over, and so letting somebody be different than you and not having to control that piece of them is not natural to our humanity. And so that is hard for a lot of people. And that's, I think, where a lot of conflict comes, that we want to control. When somebody comes to you and changes the dynamic of your relationship, you want to control again Mm -hmm. because it's scary and you're flying out in the middle of nowhere. You don't know what's going to happen. And for me, I was able to just let go at some point and say, you are going to be who you are. I'm not responsible for you and the way that you think. Yes, it impacts me, but I don't have to fix you. Yeah. And letting go of that need to fix somebody else and letting them be different, letting them be wrong if you think they're wrong Mm -hmm. is okay. And you can build a relationship and let somebody be different with that dynamic in place.
1: That was an exceptionally good answer. <laughs> I think he, listeners, you can understand why I love this person. <laughs> Thank you. That was, that was beautiful. Joel W. mentions you were looking for questions for a conversation with your wife. I am also part of the Unequally yoked Club, so how about one that hits close to home? How much do you talk about religion, non-religion, and what is the easiest part of that conversation, and what is the hardest?
2: I think we talk about it more than we used to, because like I said, the, the first couple of years, I just could not. It was too painful. Yeah. You <laughs> allow me to share stuff that hits me deeply in, in my faith. And at first, like I just cut you out of that. Yeah. Because I felt like, well, that's my own deep, personal stuff happening to me. And you don't believe it, so I'm not going to let you be a part of it. And I didn't know that you would be receptive to it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I, I can sometimes see when you don't receive it quite the same way as I would like you to. And, and it does hit you wrong. <laughs> but yeah. for the most part, you let me share that. And you let me be different. Yeah. And I think I've slowly been able to hear a bit more. And it's still hard for me. And I don't listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, I'm personally offended. <laughs>
2: because that is hard for me. Yeah. It is something that I love that you don't love, like we, I talked yeah. about. Yeah. And so in some ways, it does come back as a, a judgment on who I am, even though you're not intending it yeah. to be. No,
1: I acknowledge that there is, and we've said this multiple times now, that language fails, right, to communicate all of the nuance of what you're trying to communicate, right? But to circle back for a second, I distinctly remember a couple of conversations where, and I've mentioned this before, that you get a lot of street cred for watching Tim Mackey's work. (laughs) Apparently, like, even amongst atheists, he's uh, very well known. But, you know, you would do that with the girls, you would do that on your own, and you'd almost you just kind of turn it off if I walked into the room. And I really was trying to communicate to you, like, it doesn't burn my ears, right? And there's one other irony to all of this is that I do have a Bible college education, and that didn't just disappear. Some of the people that I follow online, uh, lots of them are believers. Lots of them are, like, I just did an interview with Ian Mills, who is a New Testament scholar. Uh, Are you name-dropping? I am. I'm not necessarily personally as deeply connected to the Bible as maybe other people, but I'm still interested. I'm still like, I think the topic of belief, the, the Bible, as well as, as philosophy and ethics, uh, you know, are fascinating to me. These big questions are, are fascinating to me. So, so for a while, I felt like you really kept me out of that. And at some point, it feels like you are able to share with me. I don't yell at you and tell you you're wrong. <laughs> and that feels like that's been a virtuous cycle uh, that hopefully continues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I wanted to throw this one in. Reverend Philip Avery, I've only met once, but he has been very encouraging to me. I've passed back and forth just resources to him because he has a number of people who are uh, either secular or deconstructing, uh, as well as faithful members of his congregation. And he just says, encouragement. Very much looking forward to to hearing the episode between you and your wife. I have several parishioners working this relationship out at the moment. So I appreciate that from Reverend Philip. Somebody named Probably Wrong on Twitter. Question for Michelle. Would you prefer your husband to be a Christian in practice and not know that deep inside he is struggling? Or would you rather him be open about his struggles as he is doing?
2: That's an easy one. Truth is always more important to me, yeah. you cannot hide something that deep and have a healthy relationship. That's just not possible. Yeah. There's just too many things that happen underneath the currents. like words are not the only communication, and what you hide eventually comes out in other ways yeah. and like I said the the minute that you told me what was happening there was a freedom in me and there was a connection to you in that you were being open and deeper and real Mm -hmm. and those were good things in spite of the pain and the difficult dynamic it came Mm -hmm. with and those are always more valuable
1: than pretending I completely agree that the truth will set you free. I think I've read somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> what is your advice to believers who have a suspicion that their spouse may be coming to a place of unbelief? How would you encourage the believing spouse to respond?
2: Pray for them. Again, one of the things that I have come to realize is that you are not me and I am not you. Our relationships with God, god or not are our own and our own choosing and god will do what he's going to do and allow what he's going to allow and you don't have to fix it and you don't have to be the person that teaches all the right things to that person to the other person again it's that element of control it there is great fear with what's happening because you don't know how that person's going to react by letting go of faith and what their choices are going to be. But one of the reasons I was a stay-at-home mom, as you know,
0: (laughs) but I'm telling them,
2: I was a stay-at-home mom for most of our girls' lives. And when you told me what was happening, one of the dynamics in me was this fear of, okay, how do I survive on my own? And so I went back to work, which I love. I love my job. But that was one of the pieces that I put in place just in case, (laughs) because I don't, you know, yeah. yeah, insurance. And so it was a fearful experience for me. And when you are afraid, sometimes your reactions are not Always healthy for the other person, and you might actually push somebody away by trying to fix something instead of letting go of it and letting God do work. And God's big enough to take care of his own stuff.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I think that's one thing that this is a completely side note, but my perspective is we're always trying to keep other people in line. And Sometimes the churches feel like they're responsible for making people behave. And I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that in Jesus or God when you actually get down into looking at what people call the rules and regulations and stuff. I see a God who saved people before they chose to follow him and loved people who turned away repeatedly and from the beginning gave free choice. And we choose whether we're going to follow his way or not. And you can't make that choice for other people. And God lets us make that choice. God lets other people make that choice. We have to let people make that choice. And it's scary. (laughs) So I totally understand that if you feel like somebody is going that road, it's very, very scary. Hmm.
1: While David has shared his reasons for deconversion, we would be led to believe that you disagree with his arguments for not believing. What is it that you think David is wrong about?
2: The existence of God.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's <laughs> I don't think there's much we can respond to there. No. So.
2: I'm not an yeah. argumentative person. I'm not going to argue yeah. the foundations of Christianity because the minute I do, then I find something else is different. And so Jesus and God are the very foundation and that's what matters
1: neither of us is interested in debating and that kind of thing so michael t when i was listening to the last episode i heard that you were doing an episode with your wife soon as i recall your wife is a believer i'm looking forward to hearing more about how you both are navigating your relationship this has been the most difficult part of deconverting for me as i am sure you are well aware and when i started revealing to my wife that i had doubts and questions she took it pretty hard It was hard for me to engage in conversation with her because she simply did not want to talk about it, and she still doesn't. We have stayed together, thankfully, and really have a solid and intimate relationship, which seems odd. I do worry, though, because she avoids talking about this, and I know that eventually we are going to have to confront this. I guess my question might be more for your wife. How was she best able to handle what was going on with you? What helped her most with her understanding and processing your change in direction? My wife is the only Christian I have discussed any of this with, and our conversations have been very limited at that. I feel as though I just have no experience having a healthy conversation with someone who disagrees with me, and maybe that is our problem.
2: For me, it was time, and it was me working through it with my relationship with God. And I think we've touched on a lot of pieces. Yeah. I, I think when you were first open about it, you wanted everybody to know yeah, and that was hard for me. There is an element of shame and there shouldn't be in the sense that I shouldn't be concerned what other people think. And I understand that, but it's still there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm only responsible to stand before God and not all these other people, but we live in community. And so there's an element of shame there. And That's just something to remember. It's very, very hard. You've changed the dynamic and dreams and future expectations and all sorts of things that are happening in this huge change that has been made in the relationship. And so I'm not sure I have advice except to just let it have time. I think what I started to say was you wanted everybody to know. Yeah. I didn't want anybody to know. Yeah. (laughs) And, but I felt like for your sake, I had to let people know. Yeah. And it wasn't something that I wanted to discuss, especially right in the beginning. And I think it took years, like we're only five years in, but it just been the past couple years that I have come to this place. And so you've got to let people have time.
1: Well, my first response to that is, I'm sorry for the experience that you have to go through. I have a question for you just to bounce off this, and that is, did you get any negative response from other church members, family members? Did you have to deal with fallout from a decision that I made?
2: No. But I'm not sure I opened myself up to that. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, the people, the people that I chose to tell, I just dropped it. I just let people know and then didn't go
1: any further with it. I can, I can see that. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Ray G., was the foundation of your marriage affected by David letting go of faith? What I noticed with some couples is that the belief that the marriage was based on Christ caused a rift from which they were unable to recover when one of them left faith.
2: So we've touched on some of that. One, I think the ideal of the Christian marriage is not even the reality in many Christian marriages. Right. And so my relationship with God is what counts. Your relationship with God is what counts if you were a believer. And then we come together, each with a strong relationship. And our marriage is still based on Christ for me. Okay. Because I love you and am challenged constantly to love you better because of what he's doing in me. And that is completely separate from whatever you do and you love me. And so... The foundation of your marriage is not one-sided. You know, it's not just one plank under God. There's a plank under both of you that is God. And that's the reason that one side can wobble and the marriage still stays there. If there isn't each individual relationship with God, it's not going to make it, no matter if you're both believers or not.
1: Hmm, Interesting. I do want to acknowledge that I think that was part of my fear of losing you was that at least ostensibly the marriage was predicated on on faith and and so that was part of what was so terrifying about it is that I was I knew I was coming to you to say this is no longer the case for me and would that in your mind dissolve that bond right and maybe it did but like you know we were able to come back again and I think your description of the way you feel responsible to love me as well <laughs> uh, is significant also. So. Uh, we made a joke earlier that you don't listen to the podcast, which is of course fine. It was comical though the one day when we hopped in the car and you had Bluetooth connected automatically and <laughs> it was uh, you I, got caught because you had been listening I did listen to, to one <laughs> <laughs> you'd been listening to Sarah's episode. Sarah is married to an atheist, and I got to talk to her. Your reaction to that I think you felt like I was pretty aggressive mm-hmm. with her. I'm curious just if you wanna talk about that
2: You came across a little arrogant. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in, in my perspective. Yeah. I think she was being very, very open and honest. Mm-hmm. And, and you weren't bad, but I just found it interesting.
1: Well, I, I'm soliciting your feedback. So, I mean, I, I, my goal always is about an honesty contest. So, if I'm coming across as arrogant, that isn't what I'm wanting to do.
2: I think that was good for me to hear too. Like, Whereas you might have been a little bit pretentious, maybe (laughs) just a little bit. I don't know. It was good for me to hear and see that you were not trying to argue with somebody.
1: So I'm very cognizant of depending on a person's entry point into a lot of the work that I do with the, the podcast and I cringe at the things I wrote on my blog in the early days and that kind of thing is that you can get a wildly different view of me on first contact depending on where you start. I think that that conversation with Sarah, I was trying to be to give her space to tell her story, to be honest about how hard it is to be on your side of the table. It's definitely hard not to <laughs> it's it's hard to not- alway, always maintain perfect humility <laughs> in the discussions so. no
2: and I get that yeah, I think yeah. what I heard was you defending her husband
1: really yeah oh I was trying not to do that I know yeah I okay. know there was a little bit of there's it there's a little though. bit okay interesting all right <laughs> all right I will take that uh, I'm curious how how did you did somebody tell you about that episode or how did you find No, I, um, your thing was pinging. I get up
2: early in Uh, the morning uh, and I was sitting here in the quiet and I could hear ping, 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 ping. And I was like, what is that? (laughs) And then I was like, oh, I bet he put out a a new podcast. So I just went and looked up to see if something new had come up. Yeah. And that one came up and I read the title. I was like, that is interesting.
1: (laughs) That is Amazing that that is the episode You started with (laughs)
2: Some might say Some might say
1: (laughs) That is quite a coincidence That it
2: had a divine factor behind it
1: (laughs) So along those lines I'm aware that Having a semi-public presence That talks about secularism Talks about humanism Talks about Argues against apologetics That kind of thing That that could imply (laughs) uh, something negative toward you. I found that I had to do this. Maybe it was that same pastoral instinct of why I went to Bible college in the first place, of caring about people and thinking about how people going through a deconversion process feel utterly and completely alone. I don't think I will ever be able to explain to you how lonely that is because you can't talk to anyone no one no one understands you and i i feel continue to feel a drive to communicate on this topic how do you feel about that do you does it does it hurt you that i do this
2: it is not comfortable that you do it because it feels like Something that I love, you talk against. And so it's as if, like you run. Mm -hmm. And so if I became an anti-runner. Yeah. So something that you find is really important to you, to me, is even more important to me because it is the essence of what I love and what I want. And you talk against that. And so that is difficult for me, and yet I have come to the understanding that that doesn't hurt him, that doesn't hurt God. It's only in front of other people, and that doesn't matter. I am to stand with him and other people's perspectives, whether they're other believers or not, don't matter the same mm-hmm. and so yeah it's not comfortable but it is what
1: it is <laughs> okay <laughs> all right. Uh, for what it's worth when uh, you do ministry I, I back you up <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: backing you up yeah,
1: right yeah. now <laughs> so last question can this not be the last time? Can we do this again at some point in time? Yeah. All right. And so I would definitely like us to do this every once in a while. And if a topic comes up that you want to discuss that is in any way would include me, let, let's let's jump on the mic and do it. Because I think this has been really raw and, <laughs> and intense at moments, uh, but I think this is exactly the kind of thing that is important for people to hear. We're not pretending. We're not really pulling any punches. We love each other, and that's really the thing that matters. Anyway, I love you. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for uh, sharing your heart. Thank you.
2: Thank you for letting me come here.
1: Final thoughts on the episode. I think you can hear the love and the tension. In our voices. This is still raw. It's still painful, I think, for both of us. The singular message that I'd like to get across is about secular grace, about caring for the other person, for who they are and what they believe without contempt, without wishing that they were something other than who they are. That is a relationship, that is love. If you find yourself in an unequally yoked relationship, it is not a death sentence for that relationship. It is going to be work. It is going to be hard. I'm not going to pull any punches and tell you otherwise. But if you love each other, and if you respect one another, it can work. I mostly want to just thank Michelle for unbelievable bravery and honesty in coming on the show. If you heard the last part of our conversation where I ask her, does it hurt that I do this work? I know that it does. And for her to be willing to come on the show is a really big deal. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, so I thank you, Michelle, for doing that. I love you. I adore you. I respect you. I think your love of humanity is something that should be imitated and followed. I hope that this is not the last conversation that Michelle and I will have on the podcast. We did do listener questions. Uh, We did end up cutting one question that was about our kids, and we both fumbled around for about 10 minutes without a coherent thought, and we ultimately cut that. So that is a potential conversation for the future. Without specifying a time frame of when we might do that, I will say please continue to send in questions if you email me, gracefulatheist at gmail.com. I'll compile those questions, and maybe in a future episode with Michelle, we'll go through those as well. Again, for the holiday season, I hope that you reach out to one another, that you express your love for each other in a safe way recognize that you may have friends and family that need a call from you, that need a Zoom session to hang out and chat. Take the first step to make that happen. I have been writing some secular humanist graces. One of the major drivers of traffic to my site is people looking for ways to say grace at the table. And of course, that isn't quite what my site is about, but I'm beginning to write some of those. I've written one called Chosen Family Grace. I'll have links to that in the show notes. I'm hoping to write more of those over the coming years. If you have a particular life event that you would like some secular invocation for, let me know. Give me some inspiration, and I'll try to write something. And finally, looking towards 2021, my first guest for 2021 is John Steingard, who is the lead singer of Hawk Nelson, who has recently deconverted. John is an amazing person. That conversation was fantastic. I can't wait to share that with you. That episode will drop January 3rd, so there will be an extra week in here as I take a bit of a holiday break. Until then, my name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. Join me and be graceful human beings. Time for the footnotes. The beat is called Waves from Makai Beats. Links will be in the show notes. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can promote it on your social media. You can subscribe to it in your favorite podcast application. And you can rate and review it on podchaser.com. If you have audio engineering expertise and you'd be interested in participating in the Graceful Atheist podcast, get in touch with me. Have you gone through a faith transition? And do you need to tell your story? Reach out. If you are a creator or work in the deconstruction, deconversion, or secular humanism spaces and would like to be on the podcast, just ask. If you'd like to financially support the podcast, there's links in the show notes. To find me, you can Google Graceful Atheist. You can Google Secular Grace. You can send me an email, gracefulatheist at gmail.com. Or you can check out the website, gracefulatheist.wordpress.com. My name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. Join me and be graceful human beings. This has been the Graceful Atheist Podcast.